0: Wonderful words. Um, I brought with me my one of my Bibles. Um, I don't know how many Bibles you have, but uh, I hope when you're reading your Bible, uh, you become familiar with your Bible like an old sweatshirt or a pair of jeans, but that you become so comfortable with your Bible. And it's kind of hard to get comfortable with a, a digital. But, I, but I, uh, I hope you're growing enjoying the Lord, enjoying what God does, because those verses that she read, um, it catches something about the Lord uh, in the Word. It says that uh, the Lord will direct your paths, the Lord will counsel you, the Lord will give you wisdom, and He does it by His Spirit. And so as we get into this, uh, uh, the sermon this morning, I, w- I want to begin by saying that those uh those people whose bibles are falling apart are generally owned by christians who aren't falling apart and uh, this is a really intriguing book this should be on top of every public library or university library by itself because this is a book of revelation this is not man-made it's not research-based it's not concocted by uh, some clever people Uh, this is from the very heart of god and so Uh, enjoy the sermon this morning. I hope God ministers to you as he moves in your life in a way to open up and expand your understanding of how glorious he really is. Uh, The title this morning, I always struggle with titles, but this title comes from those who smooth the way. And uh, knowing that there's a lot of conflict that I'm aware of and that uh, in the world that we have tension everywhere, uh, the, the The promise there that uh, Proverbs says is that the path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. And the idea that life can either be filled with bumps and obstacles and conflict, as you get into this understanding, one of the promises I want you to understand is God does not want you to have more conflict in the life in your life than than you normally have because you create your own conflict for most of. There's enough problems in the world. Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation, but we don't need to add to it. And yet we can uh, create our own trouble. When you get into the book of Acts, uh, we're going to find how God's working to smooth the way in the church when there are troubles and how a spirit-led man or a spirit-led woman responds differently than someone who isn't following the path of Christ. And so as we get into, as we get into this book, I want to remind you that, that there, there are two components to this book, the Old Testament and the New Testament, which you know as covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, covenants beginning with Noah are, are promises that God makes. Covenants are agreements uh, from Abraham and David and uh, you go on down to uh, throughout the Old Testament. These are, these are, these are intentions that God's purpose to say, I am going to do this for you. This is my will and testament. The Old Testament is God's promise to walk with us. And the New Testament is that He's going to fulfill that Testament promise, and He sent Christ, His Son. But as we get into that Old Testament, there's one highlight again is <clears throat> from the Isaiah, and Isaiah in Isaiah 40 says, "A voice calling into the wilderness, uh, the way prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God." Notice it says, "Every valley shall be raised up and." Every mountain shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rough, rugged places a plain. And then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken in his word. Did you catch the middle of that section? It says, right in the middle, every valley shall be raised up. And every Mountain and hill made low. There's going to be a transformation geographically in this sense, but spiritually in the sense that what, what valleys we go through and what mountains, tops we have to climb, God's going to help us walk through this and change us so that our path becomes smooth. That's the promise, and that's the promise of seeing God's glory. Who understood this more than John the Baptist who walked among the mountains and walked in the valley? He says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And when John the Baptist saw that, he says, this one, this this is the Lamb of God. And all the people will see it together. You see, when Christ Jesus came into our world, he came into a world of conflict so that he could, one, transform that world of conflict into an entirely different world. World called the kingdom of heaven. John says it this way, that the word became flesh and uh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. Seeing the glory of God, seeing Christ, seeing all that he is, uh, because Christ would tell us about the glory of the Father and he came from the father but when christ would talk about the father and god and glory he talked about the grace of god he talked about the truth of god and paul would pick this up when paul would tell the corinthians for we don't proclaim ourselves but jesus christ as lord and ourselves as your servants for jesus sake uh, a god who said "Let light shine out of darkness He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And therefore, what we have here in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have the functioning of the Trinity working out in different ways in our world, in a way where people see who God is, they see who Christ is, and they see it because the Holy Spirit is the one helping us, Directing us, counseling us, guiding us uh, into his name, uh, into his glory. And therefore, to summarize Christianity, for me, to keep it simple, God reveals, Jesus redeems, and the Spirit restores. And you can praise God for all of those things when you go to worship. God reveals. He manifests himself, he makes himself known in his word, in his son, through his spirit. But you understand what God reveals is this redemptive purpose of the gospel. That God does not want us to continue to struggle in darkness. He wants to give us that path that's smooth to get out of that foolishness. And that's why the, the, the promise, the testament of, 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 of Christ is that if you come to Christ, your sins will be forgiven, one. But not just that, is that you will be freed from this domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of His Son. Who does that? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus did on the cross, the Holy Spirit applies to the heart. And so every one of us comes to a Savior, comes to a shepherd, comes to the Spirit by saying, Lord, restore my soul. And that's what He does. And therefore, that I mentioned last week, and I want to underline, this is what's happening from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This is what's happening in the book of Acts. And what you have is the Spirit of God moving into the first century, uh, fulfilling the Old Testament promises, but he's introducing a kingdom. And how often, how often did Jesus say, my kingdom is here. The king is here. Uh, seek first his kingdom. And Jesus speaks more about the kingdom than he does salvation. So a kingdom, kingdom thinking is part of what the Spirit of God imprints upon our thinking. This is a brand new community. And so to underline what I said last week, Jesus had some systems in Jerusalem that he was dealing with there were four different kind of communities that he had to work with uh, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. These are four different kind of groups that he would encounter. Uh, these four groups are not what Christ wanted because they didn't have the Gospel, they didn't have the faith of the, of the Old Testament promises, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, and they weren't changed. They just were relying on their own ability, they trusted on their own understanding to pull it off. Whereas the Sadducees wanted control, so did the Romans. And the Romans wanted control and they conquered people. The Hebrew community who followed the Torah, they wanted conformity. The Gentiles, they wanted carnality, just let us do our thing. But the Greeks, they wanted wisdom. And therefore, they were always philosophically trying to analyze, trying to figure out life. But, but this was not the model that Christ wanted. So he was going to introduce, through the book of Acts, people who know the way. And that became synonymous with being a Christian. If you know that Jesus said, I am the way, and these were people of the way, they became known as Christians Later on, but they were people who understood God and knew what the Lord was doing. Well, the paths were made straight. This week, I came across a group of people that, uh, well, I wouldn't say they were straight. Um, I don't know if, if you watched this week as I am paying attention to a movement in our country that is taking us off the path. Uh, This week there was a a three-and-a-half-hour town hall meeting. If you watched this uh, on CNN, they had uh, some of the candidates talking about the human rights uh, campaign. And the different candidates came up and shared their ideas about what the United States government should be doing in reference to a movement that is off the path. And so, I spent three and a half hours listening to that, paying attention to that, but discerning the spirit behind that. And so one of the, one of the uh, books I'll introduce you in a minute, written by Robert George, Robert said, the clash in Western civilization today is between those who claim the Judeo-Christian worldview and those who have abandoned that worldview in favor of the isms of the contemporary American life. Feminism, multiculturalism, gay gay liberationism, lifestyle liberalism. But there's a clash between these cultures, just like there was a clash in the uh, Old Testament with those four groups. What caught my eye was this. There is an antagonistic spirit. As this candidate, uh, Beto O'Rourke, said, that the religious institutions should lose tax-exempt status if they oppose gay marriage. Right out front, you've got people who are on the uh, attack to promote a sense of what life should be in America where we have kids being taught that they have trans kids' rights. Or, if I were in California today, I would certainly be arrested because of the evils of conversion therapy. Uh, There are places where a a Christian cannot counsel someone because it's considered doing damage or harm, and against the law. There are places that if you, uh, I've read where if it continues that the proposal is that a counselor would be given a warning, and they're given a $5,000 fine, and then a $10,000 fine for that counsel. It's mocked, often because we're considered old-fashioned. As Elizabeth Warren came across that one man who said, Senator, I am an old-fashioned, and my faith teaches me that marriage is between one man and one woman. The idea that you're going to be mocked, scoffed at, and resisted is part of our influence of our world that we live in. And the influence and the input that you're getting from the news media is going to be reflective of a certain kind of bias. And you can go online to find this. But from liberal to conservative, you'll find that all of these groups don't reflect the kingdom thinking. As a matter of fact, they want to change the way we think as Christians to be more postmodern. Niebuhr said that our culture wants a God without wrath who brought in a man... uh, brought man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. You see, what our world is trying to say is that the bumpy road, the conflict road, the way of, of division and, and, and argument is the way life is in America, to be free to do what you want to do and without having anybody question what you want to do. But you've got to wonder um, why, why this clash continues, and it will continue if you don't understand the word of God and what God is doing? Because there is a clash. It's a clash of orthodoxies, and that clash comes because there's a war on the inside of every one of us. And so, as you understand what that poem said, two natures dwell within my breast. One is cursed, the other blessed. One I love. And one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. This clash of cultures comes from the clash on the inside that we are split people, we are torn people, and you can't serve two masters. We are people in tension, and so we ask questions. The next generation is asking questions: Who am I? The older generation is asking questions: Who am I? Uh, what can I trust? Who do I follow? How do I know that is true? And how am I to live my life? If you understand that the Lord wants to direct your path, you you have to understand that the Bible was given to help us get back on the path, which assumes we're off the path, which the Bible is very clear, very clear that yes, we are off the path, have been off the path, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of glory, beauty, wisdom, all that God is, we don't have. And therefore we understand, as Bob was mentioning in the Sunday school, why do people do the evil that they do? I don't get it. Why do why do why does sex abuse continue to happen? I don't get these people should be judged, and they should be judged and are judged, but what they need more than judgment is they need to understand forgiveness and freedom. But understand that sin separates, and therefore any, anyone who's apart from the kingdom of God is going to think according to the kingdom of this world. And that's what the old prophet said. Jeremiah 2, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So we walk away from the source of life, try to create our own source, and we have tension because if God isn't working for us, we'll get the world to work for us. And if the world doesn't work for us, then we'll get our families to work for us. And if our families aren't working for us, well, I'll get my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my boss. I'll manipulate the world some way. If I can't manipulate the world, well, I can't blame God. I can't blame the world. I can't blame my family. I can't blame, blame me. And there's a lot of contempt, a lot of things going on inside that you say, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so... Well, we're off the path. We don't understand that sin isn't just behavior or immorality or an act. Sin is a state of separation where I cannot do what's right because I'm controlled by one that's making me do what's wrong. And therefore, that lack of wisdom leads us to an isolation apart from God. This is the separation that our country encourages because we're independent. We are free agents. But a life without Christ becomes a life controlled by something, enslaved by the state of sin. But a life without Christ will become a death without Christ. And therefore we know that if those who reject Christ as Jesus said, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath rests on him and remains on him. And therefore, we understand, because it's been given us, given to us to understand, that the wages of sin is death. Therefore, why would you expect non-Christians to want what God wants? They're spiritually Dead. They're spiritually separated. And therefore, don't be surprised when you meet people who are counter-Christians because the Bible is filled with descriptions of people who walk according to the flesh. There's an inward bent. They turn, but not upward. They turn to figure out how to make it all work. There's a a self-centeredness. There's a, a sense of argumentation. You just look at these things. It's just... It just indicates all the depravity, the fact that we are not connected to Christ. And therefore, understanding that when Christ in the book of Acts is going to introduce to us a whole new way of thinking that is not based on the cultural groups that they were identified with, they all had to learn that God reveals, Jesus redeems, and the Spirit restores They had to learn that, and therefore they had to be open to and surrender to the work that Jesus did. Now here's what I want you to understand, is that Jesus did not die for our sins. What? That sounds heretical. Uh, He did more than that. Jesus died for sinners. It's not just a problem solution. It's a broken relationship. And God isn't going to stop because he paid the debt. He's not satisfied with the fact that you've got a certificate to get into heaven. He wants people to come back into the kingdom. And therefore, to understand that the resurrection of Christ means that Jesus has conquered death and sin and is inviting us out of that darkness into a salvation that's beautiful. That salvation for us means that the life of God in the soul of a man is the only way. Let me say that again. The life of God in the soul of man is the only way that anyone, anyone can lead a righteous life. And to abide in the Christ's word is the, way, is the only way that we can know the true life of God. And then to walk with the Spirit is to walk with the wisdom that comes from Christ. Christians, this is is ours. This is our community. And therefore, we stand and we proclaim that if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because His Spirit, His Spirit is restoring. His spirit is creating. His spirit is redeeming. His spirit is doing everything that you want him to do. That's what he he wants to do. And therefore, as Professor George says, we render under Christ what belongs to Christ. And if you've been bought with a price, you belong to him. Well, in the book of Acts, what you find is a group of people who are ready to say yes to Christ Yes to Christ's Spirit, and yes to rely on the community. When the Holy Spirit is is relying upon the, uh, when the Holy Spirit is relied upon in the faith community, conflicts can be managed smoothly, and unity is maintained. And what you see that is right here in this chapter, as as I begin to open Acts six. What you see here in the book of Acts is the second problem that the church had. It was a conflict that you may not read. Carefully. If you don't read carefully, you will miss this conflict. The first conflict that they had was Sapphira and Ananias lying to the church, how they dealt with that one. But this is the second one. And the second conflict has to do with this group of women who were Hellenistic widows. Now, let me explain a little bit about the context. The disciples were now in charge because Jesus had given them authority to go make disciples. They had a mission that they were on. And as the church grew and grew and grew, Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, you found that there was a one accord, there was unity, there was a lot of cooperation because they liked each other. And, and so that one accord was coming, was growing because of all the nations coming together, well, in Acts 6 becomes a problem because here's your first sign of discord, of conflict. And the conflict was this the, the international Jews who were in Babylon during the captivity, who came out of Babylon, didn't go back to Israel, they went to other places. They went to Turkey, they went to Cyprus, they went to Rome, they went to Alexandria. They weren't in Israel. And they're called Hellenistic Jews because the Greek philosophy had the Greek cultures, they lived outside of Israel, and therefore they were international Jews. Well, after a while, retirement hits and people want to go back to Israel and retire. And they do. And they come back to Israel and the man dies. And so there you have a widow in Israel who is Greek in orientation, in language, in culture. And they don't connect as easily with those who were uh, hometown Jews in Jerusalem. And therefore, there was a tension between paying, uh, giving the widows who were of Israel in Jerusalem, they got the food, but people were neglecting those who lived outside of Jerusalem in different villages. They didn't take food to them. And so here in chapter 6, they said uh, Luke says, A complaint arose. Complaint. Problems. Conflict. The disciples knew that Jesus was a servant, and therefore they knew that Christ had called them to serve, but this time they said... Uh, it's not good for us to do this service though we want to we make sure these needs are taken care of. And so the 12 gathered together and they said it would not be right for us to reject, to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So the apostles began to think, huh, we're called to this, but here's a real need. How do you decide to get people together to, to work together to meet the needs of the church? Well, brothers and sisters, the Apostle said, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn our responsibility over to them, and we will give, them the, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, what you may not understand, or you may understood, may, just a minute, you may understand as I was taught to understand that this is about division of labor, that the deacons were to take the food and give it to the widows. This is about food distribution. Problem solved. This is not about food distribution, folks. This is about people who are being neglected because of their differences. This is about a potential prejudice, a potential one-upmanship or two-tiered Christianity that, that's going to split the church. And therefore, what you have in this passage is a, is a group of men who are saying, set apart for us seven men. Now notice that these seven men, they had criteria that they had to meet. And the apostles set the criteria for those who are in service. I want you to hear this. Because they chose these seven men, and notice what they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And they also chose these six other men. Now, notice these names of Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. He wasn't even Jewish, he was a convert. These are Greeks. You don't hear the names of the apostles. You hear the names of the Gentile, uh, Greek, Jew, the Jewish, Grecian, the Grecian Jews who are now put in responsibility. Why? Because probably some of them had mothers who are now widows. Some of them were people who knew what it meant to be internationals. The expats were brought back in. And these men knew how to communicate cross-culturally, whereas those in Jerusalem didn't know how to deal with people who were different because the people in Jerusalem, they spoke Aramaic. These Greek uh, Jews spoke Greek. And therefore, there was a tension, and the tension was there's going to be sides drawn in the church, which is the division uh, that God doesn't want. But notice that that the 12 chose the criteria for leadership, And this is what I want you to hear. That if you are involved in the church as a leader, as a servant, the criteria is that one, you'd be full of the Spirit. Two, that you'd be full of faith. Three, that you'd have wisdom to deal with conflicts, to maintain the unity in the church. And as a result of that, the apostles set the criteria now, you might not get the next part, but let me say it again. The congregation participated. And the congregation in Jerusalem chose the, Gentile, the, the international uh, Grecian-oriented uh, Jewish people. In other words, they weren't playing power politics. They were following the Holy Spirit in getting the right person in the right place to meet the need. Men full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of wisdom, restored men, spirited men, faith men, men who 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 understood how to work in conflict to make things go smoothly. That's what you have in the book of Acts, that you've got now new leadership, a new generation, a, a Uh, an international group that's going to think differently than the old traditional way of doing things. But make no mistake, it's not about the group you belong to, it's the spirit that you belong to. And therefore, when they all were in agreement, then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples of Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests then became obedient to the faith. There was something about that kingdom that was taking place in watching how the church worked together that was just different than the way they had done it before. It wasn't about conflict. And there, therefore, you go back to what, I go back to what uh, Professor George said in the class of Orthodoxy. He's making a clear point. He's a professor at Princeton, a conservative uh, who's working on on the, President's team of bioethics, I think it is. But he said the traditions of, Judeo- of the Judeo Christian beliefs are rationally superior to their secular uh, liberal alternatives. Folks, that's us. That we have the kingdom thinking, that we have the Lord's promise and the Lord's spirit and the Lord's word and the Lord's resources to, as a group of, of people. We're going to be moving into the needs to deal with the conflict. And therefore, we understand that the Lord will make our path straight when we follow the Spirit. Not when we follow the group, when we follow the Spirit. Men and women, full of the Spirit. Men and women, full of faith. Men and women, full of wisdom. That's for you. That's for me. And therefore, as we pray for Chester and Baptist. Pray and join with me in thinking. Are you a man of the Spirit? Are you a woman of the Spirit? How much do you understand what that's involved in the Christian life where you are yielding yourself to Christ and the Spirit? Are you one of weakened faith or wavering in your faith or little faith? God's Spirit wants to guide you into be a, a man and woman strong in faith. But the other thing is the Wisdom. The Spirit of God will give you His wisdom. And the pew next to you is a vessel of the Spirit. You can pray that God does these three things for everyone, for each of us, that we would be characterized by these three. Well, let me stop here. Because Acts 6, 7, and 8, what you will find is 6, 7, and 8 is not about the apostles. It's about this new group that's coming in to lead and contribute to the church. It's a new type of community that they're all going to experience. And therefore, hold on to your seatbelts because in chapter six, you get Stephen, and then you get Philip, and then you get nine, and what you have in 10, 11, 12, and following. They learn from, these, from this group because the Spirit of God is on the move. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, take these words. Make them seeds that produce fruit that we would, we would live and incarnate these three values. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.